Now listen up. It's just me and you tonight, Blue Balls. Chris is still in the hospital recovering from last week's incident. Now, I gotta make up for those lost shirts and those lost profits. And you know what, pal? I found out that you're the star of the show. You're the golden ticket. That's right. Everyone loves you, Blue Balls. Ever since I saved you from that Denver International Airport, your life has been nothing short of great. So, the way I see it, you owe me. This is our chance at the big time, pal. We are going to make a shitload tonight, okay? We have a nice, simple little meet and greet. You're going to sit there and look pretty, and I'm going to sell some shirts. If some listeners want to come up and pet you, so be it. I'm going to go out and get this crowd going, okay? Let's do this. All right, everybody, thank you so much for showing up tonight. Me and Blue Balls really appreciate it. It just means so much to us that you love the show and you want to come out and meet us, okay? So let me get him ready, let me get the shirts ready, and we'll get this show on the road. Hey, where is the shirt I ordered? Holy shit. You're eating the fucking shirts, Blue Balls. Blue Balls, you're eating the fucking shirts? What the fuck is wrong with you? I want my shirt. You better shit one out right now, motherfucker. We got one ready for you. All right, everybody, and welcome to episode number 23 of the Between the Cracks podcast. I'm your host, Bill, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Chris. Now, Chris, this is 23 straight weeks, bud. How you feeling? Well, it's not really been straight weeks, right? I mean, we took a couple... No, didn't, well, we missed... Did we miss one? Yeah, it's been pretty much 23 straight weeks, which, which I, I gotta hand it to us. It's pretty impressive for uh- what... I mean, my expectations were way low for this. Dude, I'm actually fucking... I actually spend more time doing this shit than running my own fucking uh, business. This is this is how out of control it gets with this fucking editing <laughs> and these stupid little sound effects. It takes up my entire fucking week. What's the funny part is the amount of research that actually goes <laughs> into it. <laughs> if, I, if I could just get myself to spend a little bit of time researching. <laughs> I mean, we spend a good... 20 minutes of research and it is right before the episode begins well there are i mean well this the one that we're doing tonight now now keep it a secret for right now chris but uh the one we're doing tonight we've known about for quite some time and it's fucking creepy and i don't like being creeped out but uh this one definitely uh does something to me that's for sure but before we get into all this craziness chris how's the craziness in your life going not that crazy. Mm-hmm. Really... Tell me more. <laughs> it's good. I can't complain. I can complain about the heat, though. You'll hear it a hundred times because as long as it's reaching the <laughs> mid eighties or higher, I am uncomfortable with the weather. So, bro, I am sweating bullets. I'm record this in my son's room, so both ACs are fucking going full blast throughout the house, in the kitchen, and in the living room. I'm stuck in this little fucking dungeon right now. I'm sweating bullets. I'm getting more irritated by the fucking second. <laughs> it's the humidity that gets you. Whoa, 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 whoa. So you're saying that it's not the heat, it's the 
Humidity? <laughs> Are we officially making small talk, Chris? That is correct. Well, bro, my fucking headache is still here. I think it's like the five weeks in a row now, and it's absolutely getting fucking exacerbated Wait, really? by the fucking heat. Yeah, on the right every side. Every day? On right, every fucking day, I have to sleep. It's getting to the point now I'm actually getting nervous. I have to sleep on my right side and put pressure on my temple in order for it not to fucking... So you get a non-stop headache for the last five weeks? Yeah. Non-fu- I bet you I know what it is. Hmm, what do you got? I had a non-stop headache. I didn't wait five weeks, but... <laughs> oh, no, no, no. It was like 10 days straight, and I got a MRI, and to check out, literally check out my head and stuff, because was, I, was, I was like, what the hell could this possibly be? Jesus. They found nothing. Ends up that I had a pinched nerve that I did not know in my neck. And I went to the chiropractor, of all people, told me how to stretch my neck so that I could basically, you know, relieve the nerve pinching, and my headache went away. Well, that's fucking really weird that you say that, because I've had this before in the past, but I've never been to a doctor or anything for it. Like, it eventually has subsided. I've had it since I was fucking a kid. But it's funny when you say that. Like, I stretch, and I have to stretch basically pushing my head down to my left shoulder and I yeah, feel yeah, the yeah, tension yeah. in my neck and that that will alleviate it. That's the exact uh that's the exact stretch he told me to do. Turn my head and pull your head towards your your shoulder in both directions. That's and it. I'm like maybe we should have had this conversation off the the fucking <laughs> podcast. This saved you this 4 like, weeks. <laughs> this is fucking amazing. Well, yeah. Chris, I've been having another problem. Would you like to take a look at that too? Uh by the way, you're saying it? I don't think so. <laughs> oh, man. But then now I'm stretching, so if you, my voice goes in and out throughout this fucking episode, that's going to be the reason. I'm just stretching my neck. Dude, yeah, I'm going down my fucking left uh, shoulder, and it's right in my fucking neck. And yeah, dude, that's it. You probably have a pinched nerve. That's fucking... It's probably from these stupid-ass races we fucking do. That, and just like, I mean, like, physical, any physical work, really. I mean, you're doing training and stuff, so... You could definitely throw something out. Does anything good so, ever come from these fucking Spartan races? <laughs> a t-shirt good? and a medal. <laughs> oh, that's all that matters. I still wear these t-shirts like every day, like to the point where I need more because I, I like I don't have enough to like run the whole week with them. They do so, make like, a nice fucking shirt. I'll tell you that. That trifecta one that we got from 2018. I think you have the same one. I love that one. It's my fucking favorite I one. I wish I could just buy five more of those. <laughs> it's crazy because you don't even expect them to give you a great t-shirt because like most races, they probably wouldn't. But these shirts are great. If, if for nothing else, we have to race again for the shirts. <laughs> Isn't that all we do it for anyway? Uh, but Chris, um, I have huge, huge fucking news, bro. What do we got? Uh, a listener contacted me on Instagram. Ooh. Hold, hold on. Let me press that sound effect again. Hold on. I get some more fireworks. <laughs> yes, Chris. A lovely young lady from Norway contacted me and actually asked if some more episodes will be being released on Spotify. I couldn't believe it. We are actually breaking international ground, Chris. So, we... yes, I was actually contacted by a listener. And I was so fucking excited. I'm ecstatic about it. This is it. This is how it all starts, I guess, right? I pleaded with her. Please, please tell your fucking friends about us. Tell the world. Yes, but thank you uh, for listening. Yeah. We really appreciate it. And tell your friends. I mean, maybe somebody else would be interested in hearing what we have to say. Chris? Doubtful. <laughs> <laughs> but now, Chris, uh, 
before we get into our case, which uh, <laughs> which we're running on a <laughs> we're, running, we're running out of time already. Um, <laughs> I'll have you know, bud, that I am going to be registering for a Canadian Spartan race. Ooh, mm-hmm. next year. Oh, yeah, I got the free race from when they had to reschedule this fucking Ultra Beast, so they threw me a free race. And, bud, I'm going to use it for one of the Canadian races we decide to do. We got to get a trifecta up there. We could do it in a weekend. I think we could actually pull it off. We could do it. We could definitely do it. As long as there's no time restraints, we'll be fine. We'll just keep fucking plugging along. But- I'd be actually be fine with doing the sprint and the super in the same day, and then the ultra. Yeah. The sprint's fucking nothing. I mean, not to sound like an idiot, but the sprint's <laughs> not really nothing for us at this point. You know, we've done so many of them. <laughs> Meanwhile, <laughs> Meanwhile, the first Canadian sprint, I don't make it a fucking mile and a half. Yank That's the- true. <laughs> They do have uh, they do have some interesting terrain up there in Canada. Now, Chris, so. with that being said, uh, let's hope we can ingratiate ourselves to uh, our beautiful Canadian listeners with tonight's story. Because tonight, buddy, we have a fucking weird one. Now, I was trying to talk to you a little bit about last night. I was trying to put together some facts, but I actually got too fucking creeped out when I was sitting up by myself (laughs) at night reading about this and then listening to some of the fucking recordings and the reportings that went along with this story. So I shut it down and I shut it down fucking quick. And I don't get freaked out easily, but this one did it to me. Now, this is a very popular case out of Canada. Tonight! (laughs) Because tonight! (laughs) We are discussing the mysterious death of Cindy James. Now, this one is uh, not all that it seems to be. There's a lot going on behind the scenes here. I'm going to break it down, give you the quick synopsis, and then we're going to go backwards to go forward, Chris. How's that sound, buddy? Whatever floats your boat, I guess. Um, <laughs> and this one is, as you mentioned, this is a very mysterious case, but it's also a very widely known, too. And I think that's because of how mysterious it is. There is a lot of info on this case, and if anyone who, who's who been following us religiously, if, if that's anyone, you've probably heard about this case before if, you have, uh, if you're interested in crime uh, stories. I mean, this has a little bit of everything. You know, obviously, a, a crime taking place here, there's death involved, harassment or perceived harassment. And just the mysterious nature of it, because this is now, God, upwards of 30 plus years old and still remains unsolved to this day. So, Chris, let's get into it. On uh, June 8th, and but we're going back to my time, we're going back to the 80s. On June 8th, 1989, a road maintenance worker found Cindy's body near an abandoned house in Richmond, British Columbia, roughly one mile from where her car was parked. She was lying on her side on the ground, fully clothed, but here's the weird thing. Her hands and her feet were bound behind her back. There was a needle mark in one arm and a nylon rope tied around her neck. So the assumption would automatically lead you to believe she was murdered, right? But that's not how it played out. Initially, the police ruled this a suicide, but then as the coroner did his autopsy, it wasn't even changed from suicide to murder. It was changed to the result of an unknown event. So we're left with this whole mystery of this woman's death. How could a woman have hogtied herself, strangulated herself, and and not have this investigated as a murder? And now that's what we're going to dig into tonight. Because this all gets started way back in 1982, seven years prior to her death. I'm just trying to think about this. I mean, I know there's 
people are probably capable of doing this, but to bind your hands and your feet behind your back, how the hell would, I mean, you'd have to bind your feet first, I'm assuming, right? Well, you would have to, yeah, bind your feet and then have... An then you'd have to bind your hands and then sl- slide have, them under your legs. Well, right? you can, no, you can, you can tie your fucking legs, lift them towards your ass, have right. one hand tied behind your back, and then loop that other... Why do I sound like I'm a professional at this, Chris? Have you done this before? (laughs) (laughs) Through through the back. What you do is... And then then slide your remaining hand through making it loose enough so you can get the fucking hand in. And then, I guess, you know, by simple movements, you can actually tighten the fucking rope itself. And I believe this had been demonstrated and proven that it actually could be done, believe it or not. Uh, Obviously, if anyone's dedicated enough, yeah, I think so. But I don't know. It just seems crazy. But let's go back to how this all began. Yeah, let's uh, go back to uh, 1982. Chris, we're going even further back. I was a wee little boy at that point. I was only seven. I wasn't even born yet. Oh, no, no. (laughs) Not for another uh, four years. Oh, geez. Okay, all right. Well, this is before your time, Chris. We know you had nothing to do with that. Um, (laughs) But uh, Cindy had just divorced from her husband of 16 years, there's a lot of interesting names in this case. So uh, the first one is uh, Cindy's ex-husband that we're talking about here, uh, Dr. Roy Makepeace. Spelt like you would yes. think it's spelled, Ma- just like the word. M-A-K-E-P-E-A-C-E. So yeah, uh, Makepeace was a psychiatrist and Cindy was a nurse, so they had met as they were working together at some point. They had a 16-year marriage which ultimately ended in divorce. A few months after Cindy had moved out of their house following their separation, that is when the mystery begins. She started receiving harassing phone calls and even receiving menacing fucking letters in the mail left on her car at her house. So now, when you look at this and you look at the timeline of events leading into this, you would obviously think that the suspect would be the ex-husband, right? But that didn't end up being the case here. As we come to find out, he is later cleared of any involvement in this. And actually, he ends up trying to be an ally to Cindy, according to many that knew him. With this bizarre case, there was no clear suspect. And this was just the beginning. The harassment got so bad that it ended up taking a physical toll on her as well, where she had looked completely withdrawn tired and fucking afraid and this is from various accounts from friends and family members but you know the crazy thing is that it just kept escalating so as we said there were threatening letters phone calls and shit right and now this is when things get turned up a fucking notch chris uh apparently there are reports that cindy found three dead cats hanging in her garden first off that's terrible and then secondly uh talk about a fucking threat to your life Seriously. And, like, why the cats? What the fuck did they do? It's just a a mind fuck, I guess. You know, if I can kill this thing, I can kill you. If I can do this to that, look what I can do to you. So Cindy left her husband, right? So... And he was eight... I think he was 18 years older than her. Or, shall we say... Let's get get fancy, Chris. 18 years her senior. (laughs) Well, that changes everything. (laughs) Yeah, okay, so this is an older dude. She leaves him from what we're hearing here. If he had left her, it would make a little less sense. It would make more sense that she was fabricating. But because she left him, 
that kind of... I mean, look, I'm not saying all psychiatrists are psychotic, but when you're a psychiatrist and you're listening <laughs> to these crazy fucking people talk to you all day long, you're going to be a little bit whacked out. A little. You just... From hearing all this weird shit, you've got to... I mean, I think... I'm pretty sure psychiatrists have their own psychiatrists just because of the shit that they hear. Off the bat here, I'm kind of thinking that Cindy's maybe not telling any lies here. I think she might be telling the truth. But that's just my perception. Well, you stay down, soldier! I'm not making any final decisions yet. My goodness, we just started! We just started, Chris! I have never seen this side of you! (laughs) I don't want to jump the gun, but... Okay, so, because we love to do this every episode, we're going to circle back. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we do best. Which we love to do about a hundred times throughout the show so that you are not missing anything. You will hear it seven, eight, maybe ten times. Now let's go backwards for a minute. (laughs) Because tonight... (laughs) So, we are going back. Okay, so, just to run through quick, she... Three to four months after this divorce, which she filed for, they the things start getting weird. Phone calls, you know, potential break-ins, and now after Bill had mentioned the three dead cats hanging in her garden, and now we're talking about porch lights that have been smashed, and so she's calling the police at this point now because she's fearing for her life. So we think. So she's called the police at this point. Because things are getting pretty bad. I mean, if I saw three dead cats hanging in my garden, you know. Well, you have two reactions to that, I think. Like, first off, I mean, immediately you're fucking frightened, I guess. But then then my anger and rage would be so... F- especially if they were my own cats, I'd fucking oh. want to murder, you know? Like, oh, so, I'd, be, so, I'd be camped out with a, with my rifle. Yeah, so you, you, you're, you've got a weird fucking mindfuck going on here of terror and anger is what I would think is happening here. Uh, but I think after that, correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, when she found those fucking cats, her uh, phone lines were fucking cut also. Her phone lines were cut and her porch lights were smashed. And we're talking back in the 80s here, right? You can't just pick up your cell phone and make a, you know, a call to anybody you want. So if your phone lines are cut, your only means of getting you know, access or, or a call out is to like go to a neighbor's house. Oh yeah, you're fucked. That is definitely frightening. Now, you've witnessed phone calls and stuff like that. Okay, you know, it's harassing. But now you're talking about like very serious threats. And then when your phone line's cut, fuck. And you're living by yourself? Jesus. So now she's getting notes on her doorstep. They're not being like just mailed, you know. <laughs> like, like this <laughs> motherfucker is making deliveries. <laughs> the, the guy spends... <laughs> 80 cents for postage to, to send a, a death threat to you. Now there's notes being put on her doorstep. So that means the person's physically coming to her place. Now, well, I, th- I think she might have picked up on that by the fucking dead cats hanging in the garden. And the, the, the dead cats and the phone line being cut? That's true. So the threats of these being her doorstep is probably nothing in comparison. But anyway, this is just continuing. So now things pick up yet again. And now... She's getting attacked physically. Now, as you said, she's by herself. She lives alone. So there's really no one to either back her up or rebut her story. So we have only her word to go on. And due to the fact that she was by herself, she would have friends that stopped by to check in on her. And one such friend who goes by the name of Agnes <laughs> Woodcock. You're having an issue? <laughs> Agnes <laughs> Agnes Woodcock. Did you have to really separate the two there at the end? (laughs) 
Chris giggles in the background. This is some fucking nerd. Come on! I'm just, like wondering if these names weren't just like made up to protect their identities. I'm 45 years old. I can't be laughing at the name Woodcock. This is stupid. All right, come on, Agnes Woodcock. That's the fucking friend that shows up. Okay, so Cindy has a friend here, Agnes Woodcock, and she goes to check on Cindy. Knocks on the door. Nobody's answering. She can't get in touch with her. So. According to Agnes, Cindy was known for taking long baths. A lot like you, Chris. You'd like a long, nice long bath, right? <laughs> I haven't taken a bath in years. Oh, that's going to change tonight, pal. <laughs> uh, look at this. <laughs> uh, so her friend fucking thinks that maybe that's where Cindy is. So she begins to like walk around on the side of the house. I don't know if she was fucking leaving or whatever she was doing. And finds Cindy fucking laying on the ground, dude. Beaten with a fucking nylon rope around her neck. Apparently, at this point, Chris, she was still with it, and she was shaken up, obviously, but she was able to relay to Woodcock what happened um, shortly before her friend arrived. So fucking Cindy's uh, recount of the story is that she had gone to the garage to get something, Someone grabbed her or attacked her from behind. They wrapped the stocking around her fucking neck and strangled her. So at that point, you can imagine, she starts getting asphyxiated. So she's begins to apparently come close to fucking passing out, if not dying. And she said uh, that she was not able to get a good look at her attacker, but she was able to notice that he was wearing white sneakers. So that fucking narrows it down. Um, uh, he had a killer <laughs> pair of 407s. <laughs> fucking white sneakers in the 80s. God, what fucking oh, guy didn't have white fucking lame ass Velcro strap <laughs> sneakers in the 80s? Makes me think of the New Balance dad shoes these days. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. What I want to know is, with all these like nylon stockings and other ropes that she's had, tied around her neck, legs, and stuff. They can never find... You, I mean, do those not hold fingerprints at all? Can you? I guess maybe you couldn't get it off of a stocking. I get, or they could just be wearing fucking gloves. No, but like, if she's doing it, though. Like, you think she's uh, wearing... Like, oh, if, I see what you're saying. So, like, if they... If they of the notion that she's the one who's doing this to herself. Right. Well, I guess... If they can't find any other prints and it's just hers, it could be like, you know, she was trying to fight them off or something like that. So her, her, she could say that they were wearing gloves. I guess they didn't know how to, uh, you know, handle the rest of the situation as they had no fingerprints. And the only clue they had to go by was uh, her eyewitness account of somebody wearing fucking white sneakers. I guess they investigated the matter and nothing came of it. Now we're just back to square one. And at this point, the incidences become much more dark and threatening. And there's one weird one, dude, and that's just the one they showed. I, I was on Unsolved Mystery. I forgot what the fuck it was on, but they left uh, one on a windshield of her car showing a corpse being pushed into the morgue. And now, like, they, they showed actually some of these letters that she received. And if you go to, like, if you Google Cindy James letters, like, you'll see weird shit. Like, they're like those, like, uh, collages that you used to make as like a kid like you're cutting out pictures of magazines so like someone will stencil in for example when i'm looking it says i see you and it has a picture of a woman getting strangled then there's a picture of a hand with a fucking knife or some shit so they're weird creepy fucking letters like that man it's so tough for me to feel like like she would have to really like how to articulate all this detail like between the letters and the and the cats and everything like to have really gone above and beyond 
if she was doing this to herself. Well, as we come to find out, and we'll get into that down the road, she did spend over 10 weeks in a psychiatric center. Now, that's part of this story that we're going to get into, and that's part of the whole mystery here. Was it her doing it to herself, or was she being fucking harassed? And we don't know. I mean, to this day, we still don't fucking know. We can all go by what we think, and by the facts that we have, and police reports, and everything else in those matters but we do not have an actual conclusion to this story so let's go back to where we were so her parents were kind of pissed at the police because they felt that they weren't doing their due diligence as far as protecting her investigating the case properly etc but that can't really be the case because they spent over 1.5 million dollars on investigating this case over a period of six fucking plus years with 24 7 surveillance and over 14 fucking cops but the problem was and now we're gonna get into it every time there was no surveillance or any time the cops had to fucking leave that's when another incident would happen she was starting to feel that the cops weren't trusting her, taking her word for it. So that is when she hired private investigator Ozzy Kabam. <laughs> All right, a lot, of, a lot of money was spent. A lot of, you know, this is this was over the stretch, like we said, of almost seven years. But I'm still not convinced. So let's keep going. But I, I, if there's a true talented you know killer or you know suspect out there that oh wait a minute oh do i have an interesting twist later on we're gonna we're gonna touch base later i'm gonna leave the listeners holding for a little while holy shit if they even give a shit (laughs) (laughs) all right but go ahead so she hires this fucking guy ozzy Kabam, right? And he gets started in her case, and he feels that she's not telling him the whole truth. You know, he thinks that, you know, maybe there's something else going on behind the scenes that, you know, she's just hesitant to tell. And her parents actually fucking agreed with this private investigator. Ozzy's having trouble getting her to open up and give him facts about the fucking case. And obviously, to me, it sounds like they're trying to implicate the ex-husband, uh, Dr. Make peace. So Ozzy, the private investigator, wants to keep in constant contact with Cindy at this point. So what happens is he gives her a two-way radio. So one night, you know, they're talking and whatnot. I guess she puts it down, but he could still hear what's happening on her end. And there's all kind of like this this shuffled sound and what it sounds to him to be perceived as fucking fighting and whatnot or like some kind of a struggle. So he rushes over to her house. He looks through the window, can't find her. He sees her fucking laying on the ground. And he fucking thinks she's dead, all right? She's not answering. She's not responsive to him. So he breaks open the fucking door. And now this is crazy. He fucking runs up to the body, thinks she's dead, looks over at her hand, dude. And she has her hand spread out with a fucking knife through the hand and a note attached to it. So you have a note on top of the hand and a knife going through all of it, right? So it's like something out of a fucking horror film. And apparently on a note, it said, you are dead, bitch. Luckily for that's, her at the time, she had to add in the bitch part. Jeez. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, but that's what it said. Uh, but yeah, so <laughs> do you see a uh, a grammatical error though. There should, in fact, be a comma 
after uh, dead. It's, yeah, uh, I mean, well, we, we we have to call a spade a spade, don't we? Because it would be like your, her name. You know, you are dead, bitch. Like instead of you yeah. are dead, bitch. If there was an A in there, then it would be totally different. Yeah, story. but so it's like uh, it, it, the, the letter saying it. You are dead, bitch. So I mean, for any of you grammar fucking lunatics out there, uh, like Chris and myself. But anyway, luckily Cindy was still alive, and Ozzy called the fucking paramedics that got her to the hospital, and uh, Cindy slowly became regaining consciousness. So now she's able to fucking talk to the investigators. She said that she felt someone put a needle into her arm, but had no memory of the fucking stabbing through the hands. And uh, it's at this point you would think that the police would take the knife and maybe even a letter and uh, test them for fingerprints. Am I right, Chris? Is the letter written, handwritten? Like, hand, hand, handwritten. So so can they match it? Like, does it... Well, this is the interesting thing. I, I Like, from all accounts, the police think that she's staging this. So they don't even bother taking the fingerprints. We keep hearing that, that, that the police are just, like, fed up kind of with basically her making these reports and then coming up empty. But, like, obviously when it comes to the point where she's being physically harmed, they have to act as, as if it is... A crime of some sort, right? I mean, you can't... Like, she's either got to be committed to a hospital, or they have to respond to these calls repeatedly, so... Well, that's the thing. You could see it from both ends. So, like, if they're constantly doing this 24-hour, seven-day-a-week surveillance, they're not coming up with anything. Every time they're there, everything stops. You know, they, they can't find any kind of clue to anything that's going on here. And, you know, they know that she has a history of any kind of mental impairments or whatnot or or psychiatric issues. So you couple those two things together, I guess that is where the doubts started to come into. As we talk about this and, you know, the 24-hour surveillance and the police never being able to capture anything, they kind of said, like, well, you know what? Every time we fucking leave this situation, something happens. So they're using that as sort of a means to justify them not looking to this further or justify their belief that they think that she's behind all this and these are self-inflicted fucking acts. Now, the weird thing is one of the cops that responded to the one of the very first initial calls, and I think his name was Pat McBride, he actually moved in with Cindy. All right, now get this. He moves in with her for her safety and her protection. Okay. Now, you tell me what the fuck you think's going on there. Obviously, this guy was fucking into her. And, uh, and that's what we come to find out is that, you know, they were dating and seeing each other. So, I mean, there's got to be a little bit of conflict of interest there, right? Yeah. So, one night when this officer, fucking McBride, is staying with her, he actually goes and he's, like, doing surveillance of the house. And he finds Cindy's ex-husband, Dr. Makepeace, in one of the alleyways behind the home. And Makepeace is saying that he's there to offer her protection because she's crying to him that she feels alone, she feels lost, nobody's believing her. So now you got a three-way fucking love triangle going on, right? So you now you have our three fucking suspects here. You have Cindy herself, you have the ex-husband, and now you have the new cop boyfriend. And what would make the cop boyfriend suspect is that he would be privy to any information as far as police surveillance, when they're wiretapping, when they're watching, when they're not there. He has all that inside information. So if exactly. he if he has that information, Chris, he is ahead of the game. 
that is the thing that I was going to mention before. Oh! <laughs> I think this is starting to make a little more sense now. He was involved in the very beginning, this police officer. And of course, like you said, he could easily get access to stakeouts and to any surveillance that's going on. I mean, just think about how fucked up that is, first off. So a cop comes to the house, he's investigating this. Now all of a sudden he wants to come live with you to offer you protection? Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, that's... Take a fucking hike. That's a bit strange. And especially if, A, if the whole police department thinks that she's a loon and you're staying with her... That makes you seem like a wacko, too. So like, and that's the thing. So he's probably shuffling information back into them. That, this is what I would think now, is that, oh, yeah, she's totally fucking crazy. Nothing's going on here. He's probably telling his department something like that in order for him not to look fucking crazy, you know? The, this is definitely, I, in my opinion, as of right now, just the way this, is, this has been unfolding here, that he's the number one suspect. So, yeah, he wanted the relationship to progress, and I guess she wasn't ready for that, so eventually he ends up moving out of the fucking house, which is just, the, the whole thing's so fucking weird. It's such a weird part of the story that's really, in my opinion, not pressed hard enough, but there's something not right with that whole fucking thing. The fact that the, I mean, I guess the department really can't, tell you how to live your life or whatnot but i mean if you're involved in the actual investigation to then go live at the home of someone i mean that's uh that's definitely suspect but the story doesn't end here chris you know make peace goes his way mcbride goes his way cindy's there left by herself still so things just continue to fucking escalate okay ah boy so now this is a really weird one the next attack before i get into the attack the letters continue, the phone calls continue, and she's still reporting all this shit, okay? Police are still surveilling. Everything's going on as it has been. Now, we get a second, I guess you'd want yeah, a physical attack. I don't know how you really want to describe it. So this is a weird one. She is found on the side of a fucking road in a fucking ditch. She is found with a man's work boot on and one glove. And again, the black Fucking stocking around her neck. Did you say one glove? Yeah, one glove and one fucking boot. Now, I've seen pictures from this fucking attack, and it's weird. Her face is fucking bloodied and bruised, and she has all these weird scratches on her fucking shoulder. Now, she was six miles from her home. Now, this is like your second vicious attack. So we had the first one, remember, when she was laying outside of her house, and Agnes um, (laughs) Woodcock finds her. Now... Entering, if you look stage left, Chris, here comes Agnes Woodcock again. Cindy actually, after this hospital stay, asked Agnes and her husband if she could come stay with them. You know, I guess as obviously protection and some sort of, you know, sense of fucking safety. So she stays with them. And uh, you would think, okay, she's staying with friends. Nothing could possibly go wrong now. Oh, but Chris, buddy, that's (laughs) that's where you're wrong. So yeah, so she's staying with the Woodcocks and with her friend Agnes and her husband. And one night when they're all sleeping, they're awoken by noises in the basement. So did she wake them up because she heard a noise or did they come to her that... I don't know. It says they were awoken. And I'm assuming when they say they, that they're assuming all three of them. Because on the Unsolved Mysteries episode, they show Cindy going to wake up Woodcock and <laughs> which one <laughs> because she hears a sound but apparently tommy woodcock claims that he heard the same fucking sound right so they go to investigate it and uh what do they find there 
downstairs in the basement. Chris. Their shit is blazing. <laughs> hey, fucking downstairs fire. Basement is on fire. And again, the phone line is cut, which they find out because they try to call 911 and they couldn't. So Tom runs outside trying to get the attention of the neighbor to call a fire department and he sees a man standing in front of the house. Tom asking this man to call 911. Instead, he just Fucking runs guy away. runs away, right? He just runs away without saying anything. I mean, but that's a weird thing, too, though. Like, so if you did... So say this guy was responsible for the fire. I mean, would he just stand there right in front of it and watch it fucking burn? I mean, you would think at some point that the fucking flames and the heat and the roaring fire would wake some of the people up. I don't know, man. And, but I mean, especially like, if you, you know, if you saw... If you start the fire, then all of a sudden you start seeing lights go on in the house. I mean, you would... Take that as uh, as a hint that people are, are awake and probably going to be coming out the door soon. So maybe this guy wasn't there, or he was a figment of fucking Tommy Woodcock's imagination, or maybe he was the actual arsonist and the the perpetrator of this fucking fire. Or maybe he was just a guy passing by. Who knows? It could be. It's a little interesting that he just started running away instead of... I mean, who knows? Maybe he was running to get help. I don't know. But he didn't say a word, and he just ran away instead of calling 911. So if this is the person who's doing all these acts of violence, hanging the cats, cutting phone lines and all that, he's probably crazy enough to be standing outside to to just watch it unfold. So I don't know. I mean, it's a little bit coincidental, right? It was in the middle of the night, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, we only have wood dicks, uh, I mean, woodcocks, testimony to go on so like what's weird is the police come they launch their investigation comes to find out chris uh they rule this as an active arson it was deliberately set as you would think but the weird thing here is they couldn't find any fingerprints nor any window that was open how the perpetrator could have gotten inside because apparently his house fire was started inside and not outside so that led the investigators to think uh that this was an act of arson by Cindy. I'm giving Cindy the benefit of the doubt. I, I mean, you are very fucking good to Cindy because at this point she yeah. was beaten on the side of her house with a nylon rope tied around her neck when uh, Agnes found her. Then the second attack was when Ozzy, the private investigator, found her with a knife through her hand. The third attack was when she was found on the side of the road in the ditch with the boot and a glove on. And then now we have this event that takes place where she's part of uh, an arson of, uh, attempt, a, actually a successful arson attempt on a house that she was staying in. So, uh, Chris, I got to hand it to you. You are steadfast in your convictions. Well, I don't know, because ever since I've heard about this McBride character, I mean, this McBride guy could have built up such a story by staying with her and basically just convinced the police department that she's just crazy and that she must have you know, did this all on her own. And one hand, while I do think there's a possibility that she could be staging this all, in the other, this is so intricate. I don't know if it's even possible that Cindy could stage this. It seems so, like, well orchestrated. I mean, it's extravagant. The whole fucking... I mean, it's not just one little ploy. I mean, there's so many fucking things that are happening. It's like, to give yourself hypothermia and just stay outside in the fucking elements nude i mean aim gagged how do you know that somebody's even gonna come find you so was that a suicide attempt is that you know did they think that she was trying to commit suicide or did they think she was purposely trying to be found i mean 
What are the fucking chances that she would have been found? But she was. I don't know. This seems a little too much involvement for someone like her to, to pull this whole thing off. You hit the nail on the head there, Chris, because it did get to be uh, too much fucking mentally. Because if she is an actual victim to these fucking crimes and nobody's believing you, you're going to get fucking crazy and you're going to go nuts and then you're going to feel like you're on an island by yourself and, you know, you need help. Of course, you're going to start fucking eventually mentally breaking down. All right, so that's one end of it. But imagine, and to me, this is a little creepier. If she is the one behind this, imagine the mental state she has to be in and the, the, the depths of her illness, of her mental illness, of what she's going through at this point and the decline that she must be in. So either way, you know, you, you look at it this woman needs help, and thankfully, at this point, they take her in and put her in a psychiatric center where she stays for, I think, upwards of about three months, and it seems that Cindy was actually diagnosed. Now, hold on to your hats for this, Chris. We got a long list here. Hysteria, paranoia, schizophrenia, and being a hypochondriac. So, you have a laundry list of mental ailments that Cindy is suffering from. This then adds to our story now. So now how are we looking at it? You know, like, is this, you know, after seeing all these diagnoses, are we looking at this from the standpoint of a woman being a victim of all these attacks by an actual perpetrator? Or is this a mentally ill woman who is doing this to herself? And that's the fucking weird thing. So now Cindy gets out of the fucking uh, mental hospital, like we said, after spending upwards of three months there. And eventually she comes around to saying that she believes that it's her ex-husband, uh, Roy Makepeace. Roy, which is weird, he'd been interviewed fucking for hours and hours on end by police, right? And he had always been cleared. And this is really weird, man. I'm going to play the audio from this. He actually used a recording that was left on his answering machine that he believes is from Cindy, okay? So apparently this is a death threat that was left on Dr. Roy Makepeace's answering machine. Woof. So if you couldn't make that out, it says Cindy dead meat. What do you think of that, Chris? I will say, though, the voice does sound a little woman-y. Sounds yeah. like a woman. Yes, it does. Her husband, the psychiatrist, obviously, you know, he's obviously going to use his background and his credentials and whatnot and his familiarity with Cindy to make a diagnosis. So he was saying that she had split personality, multiple personalities. And one of the theories that I actually read online was that with the multiple personalities is that one was a dominant one and one was a submissive one. So the dominant one could potentially be trying to kill the other personality. Now, how fucking creepy is that? So they think that that might have been what was going on here, or at least that's what fucking Makepeace thinks what was happening here. It could go either way because this does have all the signs of of a fucking mental illness is just like just and hearing that it definitely sounds like a female voice he could easily not that uh, i don't think he did but i mean just by having an answering machine that has a message i don't know if that's really evidence (laughs) anybody could call him and leave a message like he could have called himself if he wanted to but it's not beneficial evidence to anything or anybody but it's it, it definitely 
a creep factor to it that obviously maybe even fucking Makepeace was trying to push out there himself to get the fuzz away from him. Yeah, you never know. I mean, this sometimes if someone who has a susceptible personality like Cindy can easily be a victim to people who are, you know, good at mind fucking, which a psychiatrist would be good at. This is such a difficult thing to interpret because you have the cop who has the ability to know, you know, like we were saying, when surveillance is being done and can easily chalk up Cindy as some sort of a wacko. But if they if she if he knew that she was a wacko from the start, why would he live with her and date her? Uh, then you have Makepeace, who is a psychiatrist, and he, who knows, maybe he's a disgruntled, you know, uh, ex who she left, and he possibly could be playing, you know, the strings with her and just basically toying with her emotions. Absolutely, because you could see, I mean, she was a beautiful woman, so, you know, plus he was 18 years older than her, so he might have lost his mind when she fucking left him. But then the third thing is she could be a total nut job. Well, that and, and I mean, but she'd have to be a brilliant nut job to pull this whole thing off. There's no answer to the story, but this all leads us up uh, to the big fucking shebang, you know. So here we are, seven years later, right? This all started in 1982. So now here we are in 1989, and now Chris, this is it, bud. On May 25th, 1989, six years and seven months after the first phone call. She received Cindy fucking disappeared. So apparently her car was found at a neighborhood parking lot. From all accounts, she had gone to the mall or some shit and went shopping for groceries and everything else. And uh, they found the groceries in the car, a gift. Some credit cards were found under the car itself. And I believe that there were bloodstains on the driver's side door, I think. So that all comes across as a sign of a struggle in it. So you have important items left behind. Items on the outside of the car and fucking blood inside the car and the person's missing. So obviously something fucking bad has happened here. So Cindy's missing and for two weeks she could not be found. And that is when in early June of 89 in Richmond, British Columbia, where the construction worker found her body next to the abandoned house. Hogtied with a nylon rope around her neck and her body was decaying at that point. So she was left out there in this open field for... God, what do we say? Upwards of two weeks, right? The autopsy the autopsy revealed she died not from strangulation, but from an overdose of morphine and other drugs. Just like the morphine she had in her system when she was stabbed through the hand that night. So that's what was the big shock to what I said in the beginning. So when you see somebody who's hogtied with a rope around her neck, you're going to automatically think this person was fucking murdered and they were tortured. But that's where our story began because the police concluded that this was an actual suicide. So now going back and looking at all this information, you could see how they came to that conclusion as well, right? So it's like you see this body hogtied left to die. You would automatically think fucking murder. But this has happened three to four other times. The other time she was found on the side of the road. Remember that? Six miles from her home with the hypothermia. Maybe this was another incident she tried to plan, hoping to be found, but overdosed and was never found until it was too late. Or maybe, like you said, this was just uh, the work of a fucking crazy, goddamn fucking stalking lunatic. You know, initially when I started reading this, I was leaning towards that Cindy did this to herself. But now after going into this, Chris, I think I'm 
jumping on board with your initial uh, hypothesis, I, I think that uh, Cindy was uh, attacked. Why? I mean, I know she could have a pretty bad mental disorder, but why go through all this trouble only to kill yourself? If she injected herself with a lethal dose of morphine and whatever else, and then what's the point in tying herself up? And maybe she didn't realize she she gave herself too much drugs and accidentally overdosed. I don't get what her, other than just being completely insane, which I guess would be enough of a reason to, to do anything. I just don't, I don't know. So this is such a tough one. So this one is really fucked up, dude. It's I told you it's very creepy because you know obviously if she was the victim of these crimes. I mean, is outrageous and it's terrible and it makes you insanely frustrated. But you know if she was doing this to herself, again she's the victim and it's it's just so sad that she never got the proper help and she fell into the, such a abyss of, of mental anguish that the only way she can get any sense of you know, self-fulfillment was to create these scenarios and uh, bring them to fucking life, you know, if that's really what she was doing. And I mean, like I said, initially, that's what I thought. I mean, not that it really matters, but I have no fucking idea. I, I am honestly, I'm, I'm 50-50, man. I don't know. I don't know. Initially, I was well, leaning towards, this was definitely Cindy doing this to herself, but now, now I'm 50-50. Maybe we'll just have to leave it as the police did, as an unknown event. Wow. What a way to end it, Chris. I'm gonna. I'm leaning myself towards this was something to do with McBride, but I can't in any way be certain of that. And I, I feel like how this all unfolded and the intricacy of it all, I don't think she's capable or she was capable of pulling that all off by herself. Either way, man, this is a sad and bizarre case, and I'm glad it's fucking over with. I, I, I'm I, this one was too much for me. Yeah, it was a long one. I this like was, uh... I like talk about the blobs, the lighthouses. That's more my speed. <laughs> yeah, this was uh, this just makes you scratch your head. But that's it. So if you have any ideas or theories on what you think may have happened to um, Cindy James, please let us know. And you can reach us at btcpod2020 at gmail.com. Or you can reach us on Instagram at the Between the Cracks podcast. And Chris, another week going by and I'm still off Facebook. And my man, I am loving life. (laughs) stress-free oh i love it so that's a wrap on episode number 23 and that is it for us guys so until next week we bid you the fondest oh farewells chris would you like to see my woodcock fuck off guy (laughs) jesus how long is that